It's Friday, July 28th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got a special brief for you today. We are going to take a step back from news, and instead, I'm going to take you inside the CIA. And I'm doing this because of something that you might not know about me. In addition to recruiting spies and stealing secrets for the agency, I was also an instructor in the intel community. I taught future generations of men and women about the art and science of espionage. Well, recently I got an email from a young listener with the last name of Perry in Knoxville, Tennessee. And like a lot of my former students, he asked me, Brian, how did you get in? And what makes you a successful officer once you do? Lastly, what's the CIA like to work for? Well, I think that Perry's questions were really good, especially that last one. Why would someone want to work for the CIA, especially right now? Because as it turns out, there are some serious problems at the agency that, frankly, if we don't fix them with either good leadership or good men and women like Mr. Perry, well, this country is in very serious trouble. So that is the focus of this special report of Inside the CIA. So my friends, let's do this starting with a thought experiment. I want us to imagine that we are all 18 years old, just like Perry. He is about to head off to college or trade school. He loves his country. He wants to be of service, and he thinks that recruiting spies, well, that sounds like a pretty fun way to do it. So as you imagine that you are Perry, I want you to also imagine that I am your instructor. I'm going to be your guide who's going to take you through the application process and mold you through the training and then get you out into the field. Although I should say one caveat here, I can't and frankly won't get into classified information, nor can I give you too much that might help our enemies seed people inside the CIA. But even still, I can give you quite a bit. And let's start with the application and interview process. First, Fun fact for you, according to the CIA, it is easier to become an astronaut than it is to become an operations officer like me. So is that true? I don't know. But that is what they told us when I first sat down with my interviewer years ago. So the question then that we might be thinking about is, how do we make ourselves more competitive? And here's the answer. Be interesting and be interested. So here's what I mean by that. At the heart of every successful CIA officer, there is a man or woman who has an insatiable desire to learn and grow and be interested in, well, everything. And that's because the CIA's mission is to be everywhere and know, well, if not everything, certainly as much as they possibly can. The goal is to to learn truth, to set you free, to set policymakers free so that they can make the best decisions possible to defend America and our interests. So that means that you as an applicant should be impossibly interested in everything, right? You read and listen to all sorts of information about cultures and religions and people and customs and explore those people, obviously, and, and, and how they fit into history. Like, let's say we're looking at a map, right? Why does a country have a particular shape? Why is the border in one spot and not over by a certain river or a mountain? In other words, channel your inner three-year-old and just keep asking, why? Why? And as you do that, focus on building out your own personal interests and, and get a bit deeper into that too. So for instance, you all probably have noticed that I am interested in agriculture. 
autism, and obesity, because those issues are important to me. They have impacted my life or those that I love. So if you do that, right, becoming a jack of all trades and master of, well, not none, a few, then by being interested in the world, you will be interesting in that interview, right? You're going to be able to hold conversations with people, these senior CIA officers with fascinating facts and data, history and insights. And you're, you will convey those things with authenticity, right? With earnest appeal. And that CIA officer, they are, I promise you, they're going to smile and they will say to themselves, yes, this is the mind and the personality of an operator. One final tip. So as you are doing this exploration and learning, you will almost certainly come across people and religions and uh, cultures and customs that, frankly, you don't like or you find morally offensive. And that's okay. You don't have to like or love what you discover. You're, of course, welcome to have your own opinion or judgment of things. But as a successful CIA applicant, in other words, operations officer, you will find that you lean on whatever you feel, your opinions, with pretty great care. Because as you get a little bit older, get your sea legs as an operations officer, you start to realize you might be wrong. And you end up looking like an idiot if you express your opinion that, well, it's frankly wrong. Or it could be that you're right. But by being righteous and talking about it and expressing that opinion, especially to, to targets, well, you're going to lose access to them because you're offensive at some level. More on that in a little bit. But putting that aside, let's say that you've been interested and interesting. And that interviewer at the CIA says, oh boy, this is the person we need. They make you a clandestine officer, or at least they give you an offer to become one. It usually is around $70,000 a year, give or take, plus benefits. And so based on that, you agree. Well, that begins the very long security clearance process, especially getting to that point where you have to take this, uh, the lie detector test, uh, the polygraph, and that is awful, right? True story. The very first one that I took lasted two days, two full 10 hour plus days. And I was admitting to stuff that I did back in elementary school. It was awful. But nevertheless, after your polygrapher eventually convinces you that you're just a horrible person and you get up and you leave thinking that you are, well, amazingly, the CIA sends you a letter, or gives you a phone call, and they say, yep, we still want to hire you. Well, then at that point, you start what is called the Clandestine Service Trainee Program or CST program. And you are on your way to becoming an operations officer, you know, a little baby James Bond or Jason Bourne. But first, you got to get through the training. So if you want to get into the details of what that is like, I would encourage you to buy the book about me and my classmates. It's called Class 11. Now, I did not write this and I make no money from it. In fact, the guy who wrote this was a classmate of mine and he did not make it through the training. Plus, he was sued by the CIA because he wrote the book without getting their permission, which seems like probably a pretty key mistake there. Anyway, but still, it's a very good read. And it's very, I think, thoughtful about what a person can expect going through training, right? The, the trade craft, all the fun spy stuff. For instance, it talks about how, how to become a, a great shot with a pistol or a rifle. That was a ton of fun or how to drive a car with a very uh, interesting perspective on this. So you get to crash into stuff without destroying the engine or flipping the car over. 
In other words, you, you use the vehicle as a weapon. And that was so much fun. We also learned the art of influence and manipulation. In other words, how do you move somebody from, no, they are not going to spy for you or the United States, to actually, yes, they will commit espionage for you and put their lives in your hands. That's a pretty challenging process. But nevertheless, once you get somebody to yes, well, then you have the challenge of how do you meet with them secretly? And you can even leave behind things like dead drops. These are hidden packages. And all that training, that's super cool. But I want to tell you about how that journey of being interested in people, that does not end once you get hired. In fact, keeping this in mind of being interested in people, that's really where the real learning occurs. And that's because in every single training session, I found it vital to be interested in the lives and lessons of my bosses and instructors, to to learn what they would do differently. Right, what the operations were that taught them the most or their, big, uh, their biggest operational failures or mistakes. And in fact, I, th- I have uh, three memories of doing that, of being interested, that I want to share with you to help you understand why this idea of being interested is so important. So the first example was of my very first boss, good old Charlie. Charlie was a guy that spent most of his uh, operational years going up against the Soviets and the Cubans. And he was smart, he was incredibly funny, and he was wildly offensive. (laughs) The jokes that he would tell would get him fired now in a New York minute. But at the time, over 20 years ago now, he told me that he became a little bit salty because he spent so many years in Latin America. And By doing so, he absorbed some of their culture, some of the machismo way, too much, as he admitted. But he did that in order to be successful with his targets in those various cultures. In other words, he had to adjust from his more usual, reserved, respectful American upbringing to, well, the more traditional Latin American way of doing things. In other words, he couldn't leave the United States and, you know, take his moral finger and wag it at them, telling his targets that they needed to change or their culture needed to improve. He had to flex. There was no time or interest in being either woke or culturally superior. And as he said, that can be hard, uncomfortable, even distressing for some of us, but it was critical to be operationally successful. So that's example number one. Let me give you example number two, and this one is about being in the field, and you're supposed to follow certain kinds of training to keep yourself safe, but then you do something that you shouldn't. So here's that story. I had an instructor who, bless his heart, he was old as dirt. Frank the Tank, as we called him. So this guy, what a character. He parachuted into some pretty nasty territory in Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War and the years after. So without getting into details, he was trained uh, to do things in a very specific and particular way in certain villages. And at one point when he parachuted in and he was starting to work with some of these folks, well, his gut told him that something was off, something was wrong. Now, he couldn't put a finger on it, but he knew something was off, even though the training, what he was doing with these villagers was per the books. It was absolutely right. But he had that spidey sense. And he decided to take an emergency hike out of that village. Well, he got word about a couple days later that uh, that spidey sense, that gut sense, it was right. 
they got intel that that village was being set up for an ambush. And so what he offered to me, old Frank the Tank, was that in the vast majority of cases, you should do what you're trained to do. But sometimes your gut is going to creep in, especially after a few years of experience, and you should listen to your gut. Even when you might have to send back a cable to Washington saying that you did something you shouldn't have done. Follow that gut. And that was a very important lesson that I learned by being interested in good old Frank the Tank. So there was a third example that I want to give you. Uh, this is an officer named Joe. And he was and is an absolute operational legend. Right? He's the guy that set up the division or now mission center that is slated or rather is, is, its whole focus is to stop the spread of nuclear bombs and materiel. So this, this man was and is absolutely wonderful, incredibly smart, but his career got derailed because of politics. I can't go into details, but he was posted abroad in a particular country, and the U.S. military accidentally bombed a building that housed some very important foreign officials, and those folks died. Well, the White House was very upset, and they were looking for a variety of people to blame, and to then show that government that they were very sorry about that uh, little accident. And so of the various folks that uh, got blamed, well, Joe was one of them. He was one of the fall guys. But here's the deal. He had put in 20 years of his life into the CIA. He had sacrificed relationships with his kids and his wife. He had missed birthdays and holidays. He'd wrecked his body with too many sleepless nights and frankly, too much booze. But for all that sacrifice, what did he get? Well, as he joked with me, he got uh, to become chief of Antarctica Station, counting penguins. So, of course, we don't have a CIA station in Antarctica, but basically his point was he got to spend the rest of his career in the penalty box. And he said to me, and I'll never forget it, Brian, you might fall in love with the CIA, but the CIA will never fall in love with you. His point was that, and indeed he explained that I should strike a balance in my career, right? Spend the first five years, give or take, just busting my tail, working long days and nights, establish that good reputation and serve the nation well. But it's okay to then pivot a bit, prioritize family and health and your faith. Because as he said, when you retire or they send you to Antarctica station to count penguins, you will regret if your only accomplishment is, well, that retirement clock on the wall with your wife and kids gone. And I'll tell you, he was right. And I remembered that advice just a couple of years after he gave it to me. It was right after 9-11. In those first couple of years, well, I lost a number of friends in the war on terror. And they were some amazing men and women who were out there doing God's work. And they were killed on the line of duty. And I am almost certain of the fact that if they were here now, the very first thing that they would do is hug and love on their family. It would not be to design the next covert action operation to blow something up in, say, North Korea. So the advice that Joe gave me, I think, was very, very smart. It was outside the official training uh, schedule. It wasn't doctrine. But because I was interested in him and asked him questions about his career, boy, he gave me some incredibly good counsel. So all in all, some good pieces of advice from Joe and Charlie and Tank the Frank that I offer you this morning, now that at least going back to our thought experiment, 
you are now inside the CIA. All right, with that, let's pause for our first break of the morning. When we come back, we are going to dive into the question that Perry asked about what's the culture like at the CIA? Is it a place worth working for? Because there has been a lot of debate and discussion about that. Plus, there's been this allegation that the CIA is now full of people who are woke, you know, officers who have embraced either leftist ideologies or, or really who aren't there for the mission. So we're going to talk about that when we come back from this break. Remembering, as always, that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or a service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hey, everybody, Brian here. I want to tell you about a product that's important to me. But first, something that you might not know. Of the 100 prescription drugs that Americans use most, 83 are sourced from abroad. And virtually all of it comes from either China or India. And I think that that is absolutely awful. And so, too, do the folks at ArcSeedKits.com. They provide heirloom seeds that can grow medicinal herbs year after year for a whole host of ailments from anxiety to sleeplessness to topical pain. But beyond medicines, their all-in-one seed kit also gets you 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables from carrots to tomatoes, onions to peppers. And that, my friends, is food security. And that's important because I believe that the likelihood of a war between China and the United States is growing. And that means that we need to be prepared to protect ourselves and our families. And that is why I believe, my friends, in arcseedkits.com. Those are heirloom seeds that can be used year after year for whatever the future might hold. So go to arcseedkits.com, enter that promo code of right like my last name, and then you will get 10% off. So yes, go to arcseedkits.com today. You will not regret this investment. Welcome back to The Right Report and today's special edition of Going Inside the CIA. So if we go back to our thought experiment, all right, and I want you to now imagine that you are a successful candidate who was hired and trained to go out into the world and recruit spies and steal secrets. And you know what? You've been spending a good five, ten years doing that. Very successful, great war stories, some fantastic colleagues that you've gotten to work with. But now it's time to come home. It's time to come back to headquarters at Langley, Virginia. And I am so very sorry about that because most officers love to stay in the field and they absolutely hate headquarters. But you got to come back. And you realize once you do that you no longer recognize the place. You don't recognize the culture. And because of that, it pushes you away and you leave. So let's talk about that. The culture of the CIA. And I want us to understand what it is really like to work at the agency now versus in years gone by, because the consequences of what has changed, as you will see, are pretty dramatic. So let me take you back to November of 2001. That's when I started at the CIA, along with, well, I can't tell you the exact number, but well over 100 other people from all around the country. And what a group. We had black folks and white folks, gay folks, straight folks. We had 
Christians and Muslims, uh, city slickers, hillbillies. We had a former pro athlete. Man, that guy was a big dude. Uh, we had uh, one guy uh, with only one good leg. We had children of famous U.S. politicians. We had children of no-name blue-collar workers. And that was awesome because none of it mattered. We were all there to defend the nation, to recruit spies and steal secrets and make sure that the American people were kept safe and that ultimately our politicians would have the best information possible to truly make America a more perfect union. So that's why we were there. In other words, my friends, we were an incredibly diverse group of people, and that was important, but not because of politics or some political agenda. It was to maximize our operational utility. So let me explain that. Remember when I said that to be successful at the CIA, you have to be interested in all of these people and cultures and religions and so forth? Well, that means that ultimately and ideally, you need a workforce that's full of James Bonds and Jason Bournes who can fit in in all of those places. Or to say that differently, you need them to be whatever your targets need them to be. And so that's why, at least 20 years ago, the CIA cared about diversity. We needed that as an operational tool. But those of us who had all these different diverse backgrounds, it didn't matter about our politics, certainly. We left that, those politics at the door, and we were laser-focused on the mission. And I'll tell you, in, in my years of training and being out in the field, that diversity led to lots of great operations, it's true, but also some just amazing friendships. Right? We, we learned to laugh with and at each other. And that's because we used some sharp humor at times because we knew that the world was tough and nasty. So if we couldn't handle giving each other a hard time and laugh through it, then we would never make it as intel officers. So those were just absolutely wonderful days. Diversity for the sake of mission. Well, I am sorry to say that that has changed. That type of a CIA, that, that is dead. And I want to give you some examples of that. Back in the year 2021, just a couple of years ago, the CIA launched a recruitment blitz that they called the Humans of the CIA. So it was designed to showcase who worked there and of equal importance, the kinds of people that they wanted to work there in the future. So one of the videos that they released to the public was a young lady who said this, quote, I am a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial who has been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, end quote. Another ad said this, quote, Growing up gay in a small southern town, I was lucky to have a wonderful and accepting family, but I always struggled with the idea that I might not be able to discuss my personal life at work. But imagine my surprise when I was taking my oath at the CIA and I noticed a rainbow on then-director John Brennan's lanyard. You see, officers at the CIA from the top down work very hard to ensure that every single person, whatever their gender, gender identity, race, disability, or sexual orientation, can bring their entire self to work every day. End quote. Okay. Did you notice something about those two ads? Not once did they mention the mission. Not once did they mention protecting the nation. Nah, the entire focus was on me, bringing my entire self to work every day to be able to discuss my personal life at work, or even in the case of the young lady, 
to celebrate having a mental disorder and being intersectional, whatever that is. But here's the point. Compare that and that hiring blitz to my class from 2001. An incredibly and wonderfully diverse group of people, but were there to use their diversity to focus on mission. Well, to my mind's eye, there is no comparison. It's two different worlds. And let me just give you a couple more examples to drive home the point. There is a CIA officer right now who has complained that seeing a Trump bumper sticker on a car in the parking lot, that is an act of violence. And they struggle, they say, to go to work in that kind of environment. There is also another CIA officer who believes themselves to be transgender, a man to woman, and has complained that people stare at them and that in turn has created a hostile work environment. But this person takes absolutely no ownership over the fact that they wear skirts typically worn by British schoolgirls, plus tight shirts and colored hair of various strange colors, blue and purple, in fact. The point is this. Diversity used to be about using people of all stripes to advance the mission to protect the country. Diversity was not the goal. It was a tool. But now diversity is a box checking exercise that ultimately promotes selfishness, pride and political agendas. There is little to no focus on mission, no interest by these folks in protecting the country. Okay, so putting our politics aside, let's ask ourselves, all right, so who cares? Why is that bad? What is the consequence of hiring a generation of CIA officers who are like this? Well, best case scenario, well, you got a bunch of unqualified people collecting a paycheck and doing nothing of value. So, for example, they go to a foreign culture, and unlike my former boss, Charlie, they can't flex into that local uh, environment. In other words, their, their woke selves are unable to operate outside of their protective woke bubbles. It just causes them too much emotional duress. That is the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, people die. Either these woke officers, their colleagues, or their agents who are either killed or imprisoned once they're ultimately caught. And that is obviously very bad for the officers, for their families, but also for the reputation of the CIA around the world. As our agents get wrapped up and other prospective agents read the headlines and they say, Ooh, no thanks. I do not want to work for those guys because they'll get me killed. And that happens, ladies and gentlemen. It happens. But that's not even the worst of it. You see, when you have bad CIA officers running bad operations, they ultimately send in bad intelligence to the White House, the National Security Council, and the Pentagon, who for some period of time think that it's actually good intelligence from good officers. And then our politicians use that stuff to go to war or bomb someone or engage in covert action where stuff or people disappear and countries get wrecked. All because you've developed an ecosystem of mediocrity. Right? You've created a workforce of spies where mission does not come first. It's a culture where my truth is more important than the truth. And we actually have an example of this and frankly, the disastrous outcomes that it leads to. There was a CIA officer named Aldrich Ames many years ago. So by all accounts, this guy was a very marginal officer hired not because of merit, but because his father was an agency officer. 
Well, in around 1985, he decided to become a spy for the then Soviet Union. He decided to become a traitor. And he started sharing with those guys classified information about our sources and methods. When he was ultimately captured and questioned, he was asked why he did it. And Ames responded by saying this, quote, I know what's best for national security and foreign policy, and I am going to act on that, end quote. In other words, his pride, his ego, his truth, that led to the deaths of dozens of our Soviet agents. And he passed on fake intelligence to at least three presidents. So yes, this stuff about internal culture and hiring selfish people at the CIA, that matters. And that actually takes us back to our thought experiment. Let's ask ourselves again, why would we want to work at the CIA right now? knowing what it's become, as evidenced by the CIA's own personnel videos from 2021, where we have mentally ill intersectional people who are there, as they said, because they deserve to be there. Well, I'm going to leave you to wrestle with this question of why we would want to work at the CIA right now. But as you think about this today and over the weekend, I want to offer you a couple things. First, We need good people inside these government organizations to right the ship. We need good patriotic men and women who understand that diversity is awesome and important so long as it is a tool for the mission, not a separate goal to advance our egos or a partisan agenda. Second, if you think that things at the CIA are bad, as I do, and you want to change things, as I do, then I've got good news for you. You can change it, but here's how we do it. It's going to take a new president and a new CIA director who understand that they've got a problem and ultimately a director who will take a blowtorch to the personnel who have been hired over the past 10 to 20 years because these folks embrace or embody the culture of, of me and my truth over mission. Now, more, more good news here. It's going to be shockingly straightforward to do this, to remove those folks. And that's because the agency has paperwork and copies of emails going back decades. And you will be able to find and remove these folks, at least over time. But there has to be change of leadership at the White House. Friends, we need a new man or a woman who understands that this isn't just a problem at the CIA. But frankly, it's a crisis that we have hired a generation of people like Aldrich Ames. And before they start a war or get more people killed, we need to hunt them down and remove them from service. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your special brief of Inside the CIA. I sure hope you enjoyed it. I love talking to you about the old war stories and what it's like to work on the inside. More to come on that. I sure hope if you did enjoy it, shoot me an email at your leisure. Love your feedback. As always, I will see you on Monday, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.